0: Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap, lighting cigarettes on parking meters, playing Adam and Eve, the military industrial complex gets a tongue lashing, and Bridget Bardo making the country grow. And it's a hard,
1: it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain. They're gonna fall.
2: In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a 3rd RPM Long Player Record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice. Only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories.
0: So on this episode tonight, we're talking about Bob Dylan's second album, Free Willing Bob Dylan. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to introduce our panel as usual we've got our host Doug Cooper hello this is Doug Cooper being a host <laughs> we've got our humble yet fantastic producer Jonathan J.M. Rowe
3: hello
2: world he's a little out of it tonight
0: <laughs> <laughs> and but this uh, time it's not painkillers <laughs> <laughs> and I am uh, I'm your co-host Tony Slagle as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Bob Dylan's second album, Free Will and Bob Dylan. Um, it, it comes on the heels, obviously, of his debut album, just entitled Bob Dylan, which, uh, while a critical success, was not a commercial success. He, um, For those of you who don't know, but I'd be surprised if you didn't, Bob Dylan hails from Minnesota. and uh, He evidently moved to the East Coast because he was going to visit Woody Guthrie, who he idolized at the Greystone hospital in New Jersey. Um, and he started playing around, uh, the folk scene in New York, although nobody would book him much, uh, Mm -hmm. other than Gertie's folk city. That was the place where he kind of made his home. So he'd already started to work on his legend. Um, when he came into New York, he told everybody that he got there by train. He told everyone he was an orphan, that he didn't have any parents. He, uh, was robert zimmerman when he started and changed his name to bob dylan um i believe after dylan thomas he
3: was a you know he was an upper middle class kid um from a like the suburbs of i don't know if it was minneapolis but he was you know wasn't brought up in any sort of you know he didn't have a penury existence and um if you watch that robert's or that um Scorsese. Uh, it's Martin Scorsese movie. He says when he changed his name to Bob Dylan, I mean, he really thought in in his head, he just thought that really was kind of who he was. I just wasn't Robert Zimmerman anymore. I was Bob. Robert Dylan.
2: Zimmerman died in a motorcycle accident. And he was <laughs> that's that's what he said about some, I, I guess, uh, Hills Angel guy or something that was yeah. named I didn't understand what he was talking about in the book when he said that.
0: But <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of interviews, especially around this time, that are difficult because he was working on that whole persona of his, you know, this sort of aura yeah. of being this guy. But it was interesting because he didn't, you know, he was playing at Gertie's. He wasn't getting a whole lot of interest from any record labels or anybody. But this guy named Robert Shelton, who worked for The New York Times, started writing reviews about him playing at Gertie's, and he wrote this pretty decent decently long almost you know just a, a subject piece on dylan and that got the interest of uh john hammond who was a producer for columbia records and john hammond I mean, this is so odd he you know yeah i disco- discovered can, benny goodman
3: <laughs> yeah, he um, discovered everybody yeah he, billy holliday uh, steen uh i think he was was a big joe turner i mean yeah um, stevie Vaughn <laughs>
0: Stevie Ray but, Vaughan, Yeah. But I mean it's you know, so anyway, he he just he wanted Dylan to sign sign Dylan to Columbia and uh, and he did. And and according to an interview I I heard with with John Hammond, he said, you know, Dylan didn't have any parents, because that's what Dylan said, even more. <laughs> he didn't have a manager. And so he looking out for him. He signed him to what he said was a fairly decent contract. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, that's what John Hammond says. They were trying to look out for the guy. Um, and they recorded this first album. That only had two dylan originals on it
1: baby let me follow you down baby let me follow you down where well, i do anything in this got a mighty world if you just let me follow you down
0: the sonnet the rest of them are all uh, songs you know that already established folk songs um, yeah. it was, uh, <laughs> Hammond said, um, it was the cheapest album Columbia ever recorded. Cause it was Dylan in a <laughs> and that was it, um, that was it. and, and, and even though it didn't get, uh, you know, it didn't get, um, much commercial success, billboard had, had singled it out for its special merit. And okay. they said. It's it's kind of interesting in their review of it. They said if Dylan ever finds his voice, he would gain a huge following. So it's kind of interesting that they said that right before the second album comes out, yeah. which is kind of what uh, what ends up happening. Uh, the other interesting thing about this was it was such a commercial flop that for two years after it was released, um, it was known as Hammond's Folly around the Columbia <laughs> Yeah, uh, Hammond's Folly. Yeah. Um, you got to be an idiot yeah. to bet against him. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the consensus at that time was that, uh, that, you know, um, that Dylan was interesting, but maybe not going anywhere, um, yeah. And, and then what happens is this album comes out. So can you guys talk about kind of what, what happens? What's the difference? What what makes this album the one that sort of hits light or that lightning strikes it, I guess?
3: Well, I think that if one of the things that makes it one of the things that Dylan was doing was he really was starting to delve into folk music. He was hanging around with more people that were of the um, were on the folk scene. He went to London and England and he uh actually sought out um folk musicians to you know learn the the folk craft from and he uh, started getting into you know besides woody guthrie he started getting into the music of pete Seeger, and um if you watch that scorsese movie he there's even uh he mentioned some of the people that were on uh on these weird television programs back in the 50s that back before they had networks when they had everything was locally syndicated Just some of the shows that he was watching uh, that had some of the some of the older folk artists on there. So he was really starting to get into that idiom. This is not a direct answer to your uh, question, but I'm not going to be able to stop
2: myself anyway. So (laughs) it kind of answers the question. You absolutely cannot understand Bob Dylan without this album. And there's there's a number of reasons for that. One of the things Bob Dylan is famous for is having a voice that uh, people think of as limi- limiting or d- an acquired taste. And, and the fact of the matter is uh, Bob Dylan's voice did decline seriously later in his career. And there's another reason that people talk about his voice. He doesn't have the voice of a rock and roll singer. But if you listen to this album, you'll understand that Bob Dylan's voice is absolutely perfect for this kind of music.
1: While riding on a train going west, I fell asleep. For
2: you would not want to change his voice a bit you wouldn't want Mm -hmm. someone with the uh, Andy Williams voice singing you wouldn't want uh, anything different it's it's exactly perfect for this album and the next couple of albums and the one before it so one of the things you have to do to understand Bob Dylan is first understand this album that made him a big deal and understand how appropriate his voice is for this album the other thing you have to understand is the world that he comes into. This is a world where people aren't putting lyrics on albums because the most popular songs in in, in this year are yeah yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I did some I did some research here. That's actually next year. Meet the Beatles, the Beatles second album and Hard Days Night come out uh, right after this, but just listen to the albums that were big the year before and the year of this album, Elvis Presley, Blue Hawaii. Um, <laughs> West Side Story is big both of those years, just a gigantic album. Breakfast at Tiffany's, Peter, Paul, and Mary have uh, albums in the top five both of those years. And then uh, Alan Sherman, which is, you know, kind of novelty.
1: Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining.
2: Comedy hello, music yeah. hello, like motor, hello, motor. hello, Mother hello. all those kind of funny songs. Yeah. And Andy Williams. So you've got this environment where the exciting things about rock and roll that happened in America with Little Richard and uh, Elvis – They're kind of winding down, and you got this hole, and folk music is the hip, cool thing, and Bob Dylan falls right into the middle of that, right at the right time, but he's doing something besides folk music. In fact, he's going to make a lot of people mad with this album, because to be a good folk artist, you're supposed to go digging deep to find old songs and come back and say, oh, look how authentic I am. Look how I'm reinterpreting this. (laughs) And so... Dylan goes out and starts writing his own stuff and he really starts stepping on some toes with this album, but not close to what he's about to do.
0: Well, well it's, in, it's interesting you say that, Doug, because I, I read a, uh, I read, or actually heard an interview with Phil Oaks about this album. And he said that he, you know, he calls Dylan a freak element of the folk scene because he said, because to get up there and say, here's a song I wrote. And this is yeah. this is phil oak saying this was presumptuous on it by the, uh uh was a presumption on the part of the um the artist yeah. and an insult to other established artists because it wasn't old and hadn't been tested by time but this is yeah. the cool part of this and i think this is why this album has such an impact oaks also says that um and he's not alone in this i've seen this written all over the place that dylan this album uh dylan changed uh, he impacted the relationship between the singer and the songwriter by writing his own songs and doing it in his own yep. voice. So, mm-hmm. because of that, Lennon and McCartney heard this album and they thought we could, we need to be doing this kind of stuff. Other people heard this album and thought we should, we could be, we should be doing this kind of stuff. Lennon yeah. says that they heard, they got it. I guess a French DJ gave them a copy of it, yep. and they couldn't stop listening to it. it just, I, it, I it got is, a
2: quote from that: "It's for three weeks in Paris, we didn't stop playing it." Lennon would later say, "We were all putty about Dylan."
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and let's not let's not forget. Um, uh, you know, the the first song in this album, when we get to it, we'll talk more about it. Was "Blowing in the Wind." Uh, it, that, if for not, no other reason, that yeah. song inspired Sam Cooke to write "A Change Is Gonna Come," which yeah. that in and of itself is pretty remarkable. Yeah.
2: Um, it's this album inspired so many people and i made a point about how nobody put lyrics on the album yet and they wouldn't until i believe it's sergeant, uh, pepper's. sergeant pepper's the first time they did it this mm-hmm. album is the what made that necessary and, and Tony's exactly right he got the we we what's interesting about this podcast is we've talked more about the people who influenced the beatles than we have talked about the beatles influencing <laughs> people which i think is <laughs> kind of backwards for the usual but more interesting. Yeah. Uh, obviously the Beatles were really that they figured out yeah 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 wasn't going to be enough for them after this. Got another quote here from uh uh Jackson Brown. The biggest influences I've had several at different times but the biggest for me was Bob Dylan. Who was the guy that came along when I was twelve or thirteen and changed all the rules about what it meant to write songs? And Jackson Brown's a significant songwriter himself. And and (laughs) some things I thought about. uh, These are some excellent quotes from me. Um, Nobody goes out and (laughs) says they're the better songwriter than Bob Dylan, and I haven't heard someone say like except for. Steve Earle said that Towns Van Zandt was better. He said, "I think Towns Van Zandt's the best songwriter in the world, and I'd stand on Bob Dylan's coffee table and say that." But anyway,
3: uh, <laughs> in my cowboy the, boots and say that.
2: Yeah, and that's that's the only time I've heard someone say that someone was a better songwriter. And and you know another imp the one of the big impacts of this album is think about this: the term "singer songwriter" did not exist mm-hmm. yet that, yeah, that this, concept still yeah. i mean there had there were some buddy holly and and the beatles right. were but um you know this is a big change I, you know, I think about the AR guy at uh record companies art and repertoire their job used to be go out and find music for the stars to sing
0: mm-hmm. now
2: their job is about to turn in to go find the stars and this yeah. album has so much to do with all of that
3: yeah right? Well, one other person I think we need to talk about in the, the making of this album is a guy named, uh, it says on the back cover that it was produced by John Hammond, but it was, um, there's this other guy named Tom Wilson, who uh, was pretty instrumental in putting this album together. Uh, he, If you don't know who Tom Wilson is, he's worked with a bunch of people, um, including, uh, he was one of the First, he was the first person to record The Velvet Underground, and he recorded Nico. He's worked with the Mothers of Invention, um, and perhaps his best-known uh, albums that he produced were by Simon and Garfunkel. So uh, he was a smart guy, and he was actually from Waco, Texas. Uh, he went to Harvard and was just a really smart guy, kind of got immersed in jazz. and He couldn't uh,
2: get into Baylor,
3: huh? He couldn't. <laughs> yeah but he was uh raised in a southern baptist church um and he was really immersed in the jazz scene so he started a jazz label uh borrowed 500 dollars, and created a jazz label and he uh, was actually one of the first people to or he was the first person to sign uh, sun ra <laughs> John Hammond crossed paths a lot, and so he's instrumental in uh, uh, creating the, this, the sound that's on this album, which I think is a pretty unique sound for a guitar player in, in a harmonica, you know, playing a harmonica. And um, he went on to produce the next few albums that Dylan did. You know, you
2: mentioned the harmonica, and I know I've trashed his harmonica playing many, many times, uh, but on this album... It's perfect. Yep, and uh, it is. There's there's two things that really don't transfer to rock and roll, and we're not going to talk too much about that because that came about three or four albums later. But uh, the harmonica doesn't transfer to the rock and roll, I don't think. And although his voice is adequate, it's not as exceptional for rock and roll as it is for folk music.
0: Are you talking about the harmonica in general or his harmonica play? His harmonica.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that you could make it. It's it, every time somebody plays a harmonica on a rock album, I usually my eyes usually glaze over, but there are exceptions. Southside Johnny, Southside like,
2: Johnny, the, South Johnny. Uh, uh, you the Romantics, Clinton.
3: yeah, Romantics, Delbert McClinton, so.
2: yeah, Delbert. I love it. Uh, it works, and, and uh, a lot of times when we're talking about, we're talking about more of the blues side of rock and roll where it fits yeah. in. Yeah. They should call it a blues harp or something,
0: yeah. Um, well, and then there's one other muse before we dive in this album, I think we ought to yeah. talk about. And that's his yeah, girlfriend at the time. Susie Rotolo, I guess is how you pronounce her name. And she can be seen
2: on one of the most iconic album covers oh. of all times. Now, it, you'll yes. see people imitate this album cover in movies <laughs> and in parodies. But it's Bob Dylan walking down a cold street with two yeah. few clothes on, with his girlfriend smiling as big as she can right next to him, holding on to his arm. They're going down 4th Street, headed to Jones Street. And it's yeah. uh, it's a little bit reminiscent of a famous picture of James Dean doing the same thing, except he's by himself. He's got a cigarette and a
3: big, cool. <laughs> on. Yeah, if you listen to, there's a interview with her on, on Fresh Air. She died in Cecilia nasty. Her. terry gross yes Anyways, this is uh, terry gross <laughs> and, so she and Kenema, about we're
2: working on our production so that we can sound more like your favorite NPR. national uh pretentious radio host yeah.
3: anyway she's on the, the they interview her about making that that album cover and supposedly uh, um dylan was in the studio and they needed to take the album cover photo so he walked out there and the photographer said hey why don't you bring uh your girlfriend along and she didn't have a coat so she was walking around so she borrowed somebody's coat and so she's actually and he originally took his coat off and put it on her but he didn't the photographer didn't think that that looked right um anyway she's wearing somebody's else's coat and it's um uh, it's a
2: great well, album cover and whenever you don't have a girlfriend that kind of album cover in the wintertime makes you wish you had a girlfriend
0: well and and the reason she's important is twofold one is she was the daughter of uh two active members of the american communist party so i think she was (laughs) i think she was whispering in dylan's ear a whole lot and number two dylan says she was yeah and number two was she left uh she went to italy um during the recording of Mm -hmm. this and the writing of these songs and he was Uh, he was longing for her tremendously. And so that infused a lot of the stuff he was writing for this album.
2: And one continuous theme we've discussed on this uh, podcast is a happy songwriter is a bad songwriter. If you can keep your songwriters (laughs) miserable, you're going to have some good albums for years to come. Of course, uh, all you got to do is remember what happened when, Jackson Brown met that, what was that mermaid lady he married?
3: Oh, uh Daryl Hannah. Hannah.
2: And then uh, of course, you got uh James Taylor and Carly Simon got together and destroyed each other's careers.
0: How about how about the <laughs> ultimate, Lennon and Yoko?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. She was kind of like living this bohemian life, I guess. And and she's one of the people that kind of I think Ellen to kind of pursue this. Well, I'm going to go to England and find out where some of these folk songs come from. And instead of coming back with a treasure trove of songs he was going to record, he came back with a, uh, a muse to write new music to.
0: Well, I, I'm going to take a little bit of issue with not issue with that, but just throw this in. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis is given to uh, on Dylan writing these songs and i don't want to take anything away from him from doing that but when you brought up the the england trip and and searching out songs uh there's a great great many of these songs that are based on other tunes from many many moons ago um and not so many moons ago um and they're not credited on the album as such either which is i find very interesting because people sure do give other bands like zeppelin and other bands like that a lot of heartburn for not mm-hmm, doing George that Harrison Did, oh yeah, yeah he got sued yeah. and lost yeah. um even men at work got sued for uh for the kookaburra <laughs> song um but Dylan <laughs> seems to get a pass and um yeah. and, uh, it is interesting
2: some- I, and I think it's because he's coming out of that folk tradition and, and I,
0: I, I, you're probably right because I um, I mean I think the same thing goes for country musicians they borrow songs all the time and blues don't. musicians oh, yeah yeah and they yeah. don't and they don't get raked over the coals uh, about it oh
3: but yeah I mean how many of the Carter family claim as their own in, yeah. yeah yeah
0: but there's only one song in this album that has co-writing credit from someone who actually um you know I think I don't know if they actually wrote the song they get co-writing credit for as much as they um Maybe stole own. the title too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well that yeah, or a version <laughs> of the title. Maybe that was it. But yeah. uh I just think I think that's something to keep in mind as we talk about these songs is we'll talk about the DNA, the musical DNA of them. Definitely go and listen to them because it's an interesting exercise. Some of them are obvious, some of them aren't quite so obvious.
2: And we're and we're yeah. also talking about something that Dylan said himself. You know, one yeah, thing I, I wanted to bring up before we start is uh, something interesting this is the oldest album we've reviewed so far yeah it, uh, it beats our previous oldest album which was nightbeat with sam cook it beats it by a couple of months so mm-hmm. we're really reaching back we're almost 60 years ago on this one
0: well and, and, and sorry i do want to <laughs> i do want to throw i want to throw this out too so uh this was i think another important aspect about this this was dylan's long at the time the longest time he took to record um and we touched on that a little bit but uh this song was sequenced and or this album was sequenced and resequenced over and over again throughout yeah. the time he was doing this one in particular i find really fascinating the record he had written written a song called talking john birch paranoid blues yeah.
1: I was feeling sad and kind of blue. I didn't know what I was going to do. The communists was coming around. They was in the air. They was on the ground. They was all over.
0: (laughs) And and it's actually really funny, a really funny song. But uh, the record company was a little worried about the potential libel um, <laughs> nature, libelous nature yeah. of the of that song. So they asked him to resequence it and remove it. So <laughs> that, that song does not appear on here. But you should it definitely pick like it up if you that can. That kind
2: of opened up the floodgates for a whole bunch of rearranging of what made it onto this album. And that's Our, that's partially a a result of how prolific he was during this period.
0: Oh yeah, he was. He even says that he was. It was kind of new to him this uh, this idea of writing songs, and he just he came flooding out of him, and he wasn't sure what okay. to do about it. But he just was committing all of these songs down. And anyway, um, yeah. all right. Well, you guys ready to dig into the album? I Let's so. do it. All right. So we've got song one, side one, blowing and, in the wind.
1: The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind.
0: Now, this song was
3: uh, a hit, but not a hit for him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was uh, the first time I heard, or the the way that I came to know this song was back when I was very young, and I knew the Peter Paul and Mary version of it. Um, my my, I, uh, I guess it was my
2: fourth fourth grade music teacher played this all the time, Peter Paul and Mary version, and uh, I I really resent that because. Yeah. It's I, I don't even like it when they sing up. And I, I would like this song much more if I'd heard Dylan do it first. The
1: answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer
3: is blowing in the wind.
1: How many years must a mountain end?
0: I think Doug, you may be on the outs with not liking the Peter Paul and Mary version uh, because that's right. Uh, I'm used to other people being wrong. It sold <laughs> three hundred thousand copies in its first week of release and peaked at number two on the Billboard charts. It was a huge. smash. It was huge. Okay.
2: maybe I need to re- maybe we need to review uh, the top albums of
3: uh,
0: this period. <laughs> no, I got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> um, the song The song is based on an old spiritual called "No More Auction Block." Um, yeah. And uh, and there's several versions of it you can pull up and listen to. It, it, I think it's it, um, it talks about or it was sung by former slaves that fled to Canada um, uh, during the early, like pre-Civil War stuff. But um, yeah. it's something Dylan actually acknowledged later on that the song was, uh, was taken from that. And he actually says this song, Blowing in the Wind, he considers it a spiritual as well.
3: Um, yeah and he does a he does a good version of it on the uh bootleg series that the album he does a good
2: version was... of uh no no more auction block you mean
3: yeah yeah no more he does a great version of no more auction block that was recorded at this time i think um, he
0: only did it live once that yeah. song. i think he only yeah. sang no more auction block one time live and it was recorded which is amazing to think yeah yeah
2: the uh this is I think this is a well-written song. There's It is. The the uh, the imagery is it you get a hint right at the very beginning, okay, this is not your ordinary songwriter. This guy is doing something exceptional. One of the important things that he did on this album is he moved from folk songs about the particular to folk songs about the general. This mm-hmm. is not about a criminal about to be executed or a particular incident. One thing that's interesting about Bob Dylan uh, that I picked up reading his autobiography is the guy was in the library reading microf- microfish uh, uh, newspapers from all, all kinds of periods of our history, particularly the pre-Civil War days. And he just immersed himself in that. And he, a lot of his early songs were about specific incidents. But with blowing in the wind, he comes with this thing that's universal. And here, 60 years later, anybody that wants to protest anything can sing this
0: song and say (laughs) it's about them. That's a that's a very valid point. But he does that on other songs on this album where he takes this kind of general approach about things. Um, That's right. Oxford Town, when we get to it, is another one where he does that. Um, Even though it's about Um. a specific incident, the song is not specific. And I think that
2: uh, hard rain's going to fall can be applied to
0: uh, anything. And I think that is what makes those songs so universal to everybody is that they 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 speak to people in a way that a specific one wouldn't. I mean, like I said earlier, this this particular song inspired Sam Cooke to write one of the most moving songs of the 20th century, if not one of the most moving songs, period. Um, uh, Change is going to come. And uh, and that's saying something that this, you know, this guy, this white kid from Minnesota could inspire a song, a guy who had already had a career writing amazing material to write that. Yeah, that's
2: right. And, you know, this is a great almost every line is perfect. But since Mm -hmm. I was a little kid, uh, the thing about the white dove trying to lie in the sand, (laughs) it it doesn't work. <laughs> What's the deal? There's this the that has to yeah, keep the, the... flying around and it's waiting for the government or the warlords to give it an opportunity to sleep. Yeah. Uh, I mean th- that one's always driven me crazy. And uh, it wouldn't bother me if it were if it were not Bob
0: Dylan, who uh
2: <laughs> so seldom
0: something, something stupid th- like that yeah. You know what Dylan made from the publishing rights from this uh from the Peter, Paul, and Mary version of it? Five thousand (laughs) dollars. Five thousand (laughs) dollars. You know, I'll put that into an
2: inflation calculator. Yeah. And I assume that's his initial. I remember he said he was shocked when Peter Yarrow told him that he was gonna get five thousand bucks. Yep. I put that into an inflation calculator. That's uh, forty-two thousand dollars today. Whoa. Oh, that's nothing so, to sneeze
3: at. <laughs> that's a nice truck. That's more than I got. It, it really, this is probably the song that put Dylan on the map. Yeah. Um but but it, in a way, but in a way that was unusual, yeah.
0: because it was it was a song that other people did and made famous. Mm-hmm. Um that's, and, uh, that's a pattern. Uh,
2: that's a it pattern would be interesting
0: if you could have an alternative
2: universe and find out how popular Dylan would have become had no one ever covered any of his tunes, including uh, Jimi Hendrix covering All Along the Watchtower. And who Bird. are those guys that had the jangly
0: guitars? <laughs> the birds. <laughs> the birds. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I mean, it, it is It is funny because, um, you know, a, as we've talked about, this was a time when music was changing, so people were actually interested in where these songs came from. So I think that because Peter, Paul, and Mary did this, and I'm sure they talked about Dylan when they, when they yeah. were doing interviews and stuff, people went to seek him out in a way that yeah. songwriters weren't sought out before. All right, so the next song we got is Girl from the North Country. If you're traveling in the North Country fire,
1: while the winds hit heavy on the borderline, remember me to one who lives there.
3: Okay, you want to talk about a song that is timeless? <laughs> and JM,
2: come on, you got to say it. <laughs> Okay,
3: and it is, this may not be the best. Song that Dylan has written, but I think it's the most beautiful song he's ever written. And it is, yes, it will make you boohoo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we haven't um, gotten much boohooing out of JM lately. No, <laughs> you're right. You're abs-
0: or something. You're absolutely right, JM. This song is considered by you're not the only person that thinks this is one of the best mm-hmm. things he ever did. Um, I mean, Dylan even thinks that he keep he brought it back on Nashville Skyline and did a yeah, duet even, with Johnny Cash on it.
2: <laughs> we were talking about all the covers of Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan liked this one so much he
0: covered it himself. Covered yeah. it himself. Well, with, with a little help from his friend, little help from Johnny. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I still think this version is is the superior is. version, and it's um, the part of it is just the the cording that he used i mean one of the things that dylan i think does not get a lot of credit for is, is his guitar playing now it's it's maddening to if you're trying to play with him to keep up with him he's kind of like willie nelson in that regard because he just sort of will, will add a a you know a a bar or two that really wasn't there before or just kind of unnecessarily it'll just kind of um no, jar you a,
2: the the finger picking pattern is
3: oh no, it's, it's the got hardest got that part of all it, it's yeah
2: I guess it's a Travis pick, but Travis picking, but it keeps alterating. I mean, there's not I don't know if there's that many guys that that go from flat picking to uh, finger picking uh, as readily as he does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and this song is uh, I don't know if you could say loosely, but based on a traditional English song called Scarborough Fair, which was, of course, (laughs) most famously (laughs) done uh, covered by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, they Um, do it. What's that? <laughs> um but uh but yeah, and it's got the line in it, you know, uh lines from Scarborough Fair in it. But um it I yeah, I like this song a lot. It has it it maintains that that, that old English feel to it, you know. Yeah you could, does. Hear, you could hear someone uh you know singing this at at a Scarborough Fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well
2: and and you hear an Irish guy or a Scottish guy singing it. Sure. It's- perfectly appropriate when I those guys sing
3: it the imagery is amazing on it It says, see for me she has a i mean he has a coat so warm and uh unlike satolo who had to borrow one
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and, and uh you know we talk about how much dylan liked it that he covered it uh our Nashville skyline. Well, he liked it so much that he actually borrowed the tune for "Boots of Spanish Leather" on the Times era Changing album. It's essentially <laughs> the same song.
2: Same well, tune. he covered it again with the organ and a sax
0: and uh, and a oh, sax.
2: I, I I'm I've privately set a uh, a bucket list goal never to hear that song. <laughs> Or that version.
0: <laughs> no, I, I agree, I agree with you guys though. This is this is the definitive version of the song. It's just yeah. so um yeah and it's yeah emotionally back, to, back to his
2: voice and my little hobby horse his voice is perfect for this song. If he had a strong Andy Williams voice it would destroy this song immediately. Well,
0: I'm gonna say Which, something uh based on what you say about his voice because I agree hundred percent and and you know you know who he inspired to sing? Someone pretty famous heard him sing and said, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And as someone else who who thought he didn't or people, some people say doesn't have a great voice, but whose voice I love. And that's Jimi Hendrix. Jimi really? Hendrix was inspired I to s- start voice. singing because of Dylan.
2: Yeah, you could you could argue that Dylan opened up the door for a lot of yeah. people with a limited range and yeah. And, and it made, yeah. it made rock and roll more interesting. Absolutely. I, I say all the time, the job of the voice is not to be the most spectacular instrument in the room. The job of the mm-hmm. voice is to communicate and listen yeah. to the girl from the North country. And you understand what I'm talking about. When you say a voice that's communicating an emotion,
0: just don't yeah. listen to it with jam or you can't hear it over the boohoo. And...
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of people that have covered this, um, Pete Townsend covered it on "All the Best Cowboys Have Chinese Eyes."
1: Oh, 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 oh,
3: oh, Except he added uh, a chorus, and um, originally he had it. Um, the, the he listed the songwriter as traditional. But if you go back and look (laughs) at the album since then, that
2: would be a little uh,
3: taste of his
2: own medicine. (laughs) It would be.
3: (laughs) So he, uh, yeah, so, but now he gives credit to Dylan for it.
2: Yeah, that's That's a precarious person who uh, probably one of the most covered artists of all time. That's precarious to be in the situation of your first big album uh, full of uh, borrowings.
0: All right. Well, the next song is, of course, a personal favorite of J.M. and Doug's masters, yeah. of war.
1: Come your masters of War. Come, you masters of war. Hear they build the big guns. Hear they build the death planes.
0: Hear they build the <laughs> I Listen, uh, I, I don't mind this song. I don't mind any song on this album, actually. There's some I like less than others, but I... I find that when i put this on i want to listen to the whole thing i don't skip anything and that's including this song um so this song was uh, it's interesting it was recorded kind of well into the sessions for this album he it was um he had already done a bunch of stuff but he didn't feel like he had um that the album was necessarily going where he wanted to at the time because dylan you know talks about how he was kind of changing throughout i mean it was a year-long process recording this so things you know things were rapidly changing in him um and he he thought up until this till writing the song that it sounded a little too much like you know rehashed woody guthrie songs so he wanted to write something a little different and he also said he wanted something that there there needed to be some finger pointing it was a quote, I
3: think. from you know, He got it done. <laughs> he got it done. Uh, um, I, the thing, I, this is my least favorite Bob Dylan song. And the reason is, is because there is absolutely no subtlety in it whatsoever. And it, it it's it ages. It's it, it's um, you know, there's people that I know that they think this is the greatest song he's ever written. And I just do not understand that. I think the song is boring. I think it's long. I think it's guitar playing. It's totally uninteresting. I think his voice is boring um, and I think the lyrics are just uh, kind of bludgeoning you over the head. Yeah, it's, they're it's, not clever. They're almost asinine. Yeah, they're not the clever.
2: rest of the they're, album they're, is clever as hell. And here it sounds like an eighth grader writing. It. I'll tell you what, I was against war until I heard this song. As soon, <laughs> when I heard this song, I wanted to go to war with Luxembourg or anybody. You know, because Dylan, I hate this song so thoroughly. Dylan says this isn't an anti-war song. Well, I don't care what he says. It's a horrible song. He says
0: it's a pacifistic song. It's not an anti-war song, and that's yeah. a you know that's a a, a difference, a difference in degrees, right? a um, I hate the, this uh,
3: song so much that when I bought the CD, I made a CD, I burned a CD it. of it without that song.
2: Well, I'll tell you, okay. and I'm going to go ahead and say something that we don't say here on uh, this is vinyl. Uh, what's our name? I'm so worked up on this song. <laughs> this is vinyl Tap. Vinyl tap. <laughs> We talk about the importance of listening to the whole album, but we're going to issue an exception for this song. <laughs> you do not have to listen to this song.
0: I I am going to be the odd man out and say that you should listen to this whole album. I am sticking with our original intent. I don't think you should skip this song. <laughs> You can turn it down a little bit if you want to. Here, you know, we're ta- we've are we been talking about what Dylan has borrowed from other people. And so he borrowed, again, for this song. And there's a song oh, yeah. uh, song called Nodding, Not a to- not a... Oh, I'm not going to say this right. Not a mountain. Yeah,
3: it's an old yeah, English riddle a-
0: song. But it was the, the arrangement that this song is based on was done by this woman named Jean Ritchie. And uh, she was an American folk singer. Uh, she played the uh, Appalachian dulcimer. And uh, she's known as uh, the mother of folk. Yeah, Dylan says he was unaware that this song had been in Rich's in, in her family for so long. Um, and she actually, I think, tried to sue him for writing credit, and his lawyers had, ended up paying her five thousand dollars so that she would stop. Yeah. Uh, and they I, would I'll tell
2: you what if I had written that tune and Bob Dylan uh, <laughs> stole it from me, I'd sue him if he admitted that he stole it from me. <laughs> so it never resolves. And the whole time you listening, oh, this was boring. one of my pickup truck tapes. And uh, for the young people out there, people used to have like 20 cassettes in their in their car and they'd play those over and over then because we didn't have access to an unlimited number of things on our phone. So, I mean, this, this got played all the time in my truck yeah. and I love it. But I tell you, I've never pushed the double arrows like I did on this
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I, I think you guys are going a little overboard, but uh, whatever. All right. Well, we'll move on.
2: It's like the pro-war guys. Like, There's these girls, oh, I, I like war. I'm all about war. Well, I know, and I wrote a song about you. Okay. We I'm will skip. write a song about hating people that kill puppies. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's how brave it
0: is. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving right <laughs> along down the highway.
1: Lord, I really miss my baby. She's in some foreign land.
0: Your streets are I empty. hate this song, too. So, J.M., I'm, I'm not a big fan of this, but, J.M., I do want you as the kind of, quote-unquote, and I shouldn't use quotes, you're the musician of the podcast. <laughs> how, many how many instruments does he have to play before he's called the music? Like, how many instruments does J.M. need to play? <laughs> I apologize for the quotes. As a musician on the podcast, I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the structure of the song because it's a 12-bar blues, and I I think it's something that you know if you can it is
3: a 12 bar blues, yeah it's a 12 bar blues but it doesn't swing like your most most of your 12 bar blues i think this is one where he was influenced by the southern uh, stuff by like what alan lomax was recording and stuff because it's a 12 bar blues but it it um it doesn't just keep playing he stops playing down at every, like,
2: every uh course
3: yeah like every, every and, and uh, but. It's yeah, got this every, kind of herky jerky feel to yeah, the song. Yeah, and I, that's one of the reasons why I like it. I think it's I think it's really interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people don't, but I think it's very interesting. I like his his voice is kind of buried in it. His guitar, but he also does a little finger picking on or a a little uh, flat picking on it that I that I like
0: yeah the the critics and and a lot of people feel like this just feels like a throwaway like it feels unfinished i i I tend to agree with you jam like i said before i like all the songs on this album some Mm -hmm. less than others and this is one of the songs i don't like as much as some of the other ones but i do like it Uh, the obvious influence here or i guess muse if you would say was was rotolo as we talked about i mean the line there was that line about you know my baby took my heart from me but she packed up my suitcase and moved away to Italy or whatever it says. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. It could and then, be more yeah and then he says, right? yeah. Then he
3: says Italy again. I mean, yeah. I,
0: I, <laughs> I, one thing I, I
2: have always thought about Bob Dylan is, uh, well, not just Bob Dylan. There's a real small list of white guys that can play the blues or sing the blues. Bob Dylan is not on the waiting list even to get on that <laughs> list. He, He has no business uh, doing the blues, and uh, well,
0: it depends on what kind of blues you're talking about.
3: Yeah, I think if you're talking about like Canyon Duck Jug Stompers or something like that, I could see Dylan. Or or the talking blues.
2: Yeah, that's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a pass on talking blues because. But anyway, anyway, I'm not gonna say anymore I've been real negative about one of my favorite albums because these two sh- <laughs> these two songs are trying to get you to quit listening before you get to the good stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> well, he gives you true.
2: two he gives you two great songs and then he tries to cool your jets down a little with these two and then he goes into his masterpiece.
0: <laughs> Come on. Bob Dylan Blues.
1: Well, Lone Ranger and Tonto they're riding down a line fixing everybody's troubles everybody said mine someone must have told them that I was doing fine
0: which, which is not the Sid Barrett song so don't get confused by that mainly because it's a different song but also because it, the Sid Barrett song was recorded years after the Dylan song was so mm-hmm. uh, don't get confused by that but uh, this is, uh, I would say, uh, while not as much in the camp of uh, as the World War Three blues, this is a talking blues song.
3: Oh yeah, and this is where I think um, Dylan shows his humor. You know, it's not novelty humor; it is just his kind of stream of consciousness. No, this
0: song, this song is funny. But I, th- I think it would be interesting just to talk briefly about the talking blues because they've been around forever although as yeah. as we talked about before we started i think doug you use this term dylan owns this this genre of song i mean at this time in his career the first maybe five albums or so in my opinion the most interesting songs he did were those talking blue songs and my personal favorite <laughs> is motorcycle nightmare i could listen to that <laughs> yes. over and over again i never that get tired of it time. it cracks absolutely cracks me up yeah um, so the talking blues were invented by a guy named christopher i'm going to butcher his last name but it's bouchillon i think or bouchillon um was and uh, no he was an american but he is he couldn't sing uh <laughs> he had a horrible singing voice so his recording director told him why don't you try talking through a few of these songs and uh yeah. and so he did it and the first one that came out was a song <laughs> called it was called talking blues and
1: To heaven, let me tell you how to do: Cruise your feet a mutton, do
0: it. Stand right out, the devil's hands and right over in the land. Go easy. Make it easy. And it was a huge hit. It became a huge hit in 1927, and huh. uh, and it influenced Woody Guthrie. And Woody Guthrie kind of adapted or adopted that um, yeah. that style. And then, of course, Dylan was a huge Woody Guthrie fan, so he adopted it. I think Dylan made it his own. Um, yeah. I-, I think Dylan used it to just an immense and amazing comic effect his yeah. talking blues songs are so funny um and i think everybody influenced after him like people who got into that style because of dylan took that comic style and their talking blues songs are funny as well um yeah. you know something i was thinking
2: about with this album is this is a a very very funny album and i started thinking oh, yeah. When have I ever said that about any other album?
3: No, oh, it's <laughs> other funny. than Cheek it's and Chong funny. or
2: something. I yeah. Yeah. I don't I can't think of another guy that says, "Oh yeah, that guy wrote but, some funny songs.
0: But it, <laughs> It's funny. It's funny because it's it's subtle in its humor. It's it's witty. Yeah. It's clever. It's not, you know, as you said, the thing you don't like about Masters of War is that there's nothing clever about it. It's just like someone taking a ball peen hammer to your head. Um, but the rest <laughs> of the song most of the rest of the songs on this album, especially the ones that are comic, mm-hmm. are just they're amazingly subtle in in their in their humor oh, and, and yeah. artful in it. And it's just it and they're great.
3: Um, I played this for my girlfriend in high school. This particular song, and I and she, uh, I didn't know Bob Dylan was funny. I thought he was okay. all serious all the time.
2: You know, and I, this is where the harmonica works so well.
0: Yeah, no, it, it does. There in the
2: in the laughter, it's it's like the old uh, yep. the rim and uh, hi hat or whatever they used to do in uh, comic clubs. They have the little rim shot after the comedian delivers the punchline. Dylan delivers a punchline, he jumps into the harmonica and (laughs) gives everybody a time to sit there and chuckle and wait for the next one to come in.
1: Well, I was in this band going nowhere fast. We sent out our demo, but everybody passed. So one day we finally took the plunge. We went out to Seattle. We started playing grunge. Washington
0: Talking Seattle grunge rock blues by Todd (laughs) Todd Snyder. Oh, yeah. If you haven't heard that song... It's, that is it's funny. It's hilarious, and it's really, about a it's band hilarious. who out the grunge bands by not by playing any instruments live at all. <laughs> they just smash <laughs> their stuff on stage, <laughs> but it's but it's got this song structure in it. Um, yeah. Anyway, and
2: then uh, Bob Dylan, uh, in my mind at least, I think about um
0: Joan yeah, Baez.
2: Baez. She ta- calls him the original vagabond, and when he's doing these talking blues. And he says, be careful. You don't step on me. It's to me, it's perfect because I get this idea of this little vagabond guy walking around through the through the great big world, just making comic observations uh, while everybody else is walking around, taking themselves real seriously. And he's almost like a little tiny uh,
0: dog walking, walking on the porch, trying not to get stepped on. If you listen to and I and I did that a lot preparing for this podcast if you listen to old interviews of people around this time old folkies from this time they are a humorless bunch this they guy are. must this guy must have stood out like a sore thumb because he's yeah. fu- his interviews are funny if you hear his interviews they're funny his songs song and dance man yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. just uh, he must have just <laughs> been a, a breath of fresh air um yeah. and probably it's, rubbed a whole lot of people the wrong way i loved too. what you said yeah. about the folk people
2: because they're supposed to be rebelling against conformity and all this kind of stuff. Boy, but if you step out of the line with these people, you're gonna it's gonna come down. Oh, on. Yeah. And they are the most humorous, humorless people. And there's well, one thing yeah. about Bob Dylan, his whole career has been about poking people in the eye. Yeah. And he found yeah. the perfect place to start inside yep. this mm-hmm. folk community. We're not gonna go on to his later albums, but you know, when you show up at the jazz. I mean, at the Newport Folk Festival with the Strat (laughs) plugged in, (laughs) you are about, (laughs) and the first words you say when you you leave the stage is, where's Pete Seeger? (laughs) There
0: There is this great video online of Dylan, uh, it was, it's a bunch of people, uh, Inter- being interviewed after a show he plays in england and it's it's a he it does half of it's acoustic, can you stick at the second half the second half is electric and they're so angry they're just yeah. angry and it's so funny because you're right it you can just funny. see him up there going watch this guys and go down on stage it's <laughs> You know, poke, as you said, poking people in the eye.
3: Where's that Um, live album? Yeah, there's that live album on the bootleg series where he, you can hear somebody audibly yell out Judas.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then that's awesome. You can hear all the booing when he's up there. And he, I think he, I think he gets power. It's like uh, with the Godzilla biting the uh, power. Uh, lines and getting more power. I think he gets power out of That's being rejected. Funny.
0: That's Damn really funny. It's
2: when they all embraced him that he freaked out. In fact, well, you know, there is a lot of heavy stuff on this album, and uh these talking blues and talking that they just help so much.
3: They do. Well, and, and, balance and a, it out.
0: It's a pattern that he would he would employ throughout his early career, where he would yeah. throw these songs, these talking blues songs, on his albums for a little. I think for just a slight, just taking a breath, comic relief stuff. Yeah. And uh, but they are they are some of my favorite things he's ever done. Oh yeah, yeah. Alright, well let's go to the next song Which I I personally, even though it's not my favorite Even though it's not my favorite song I think it's the heart and soul of this album And it's a hard rain's gonna fall Ten
1: thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a hard 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 rain's gonna fall
3: it's a fantastic song. It's it's pretty, very imaginative.
0: Well, it's it's based on, uh, again, based on an old British folk ballad called Lord Randall. And uh, and in and just like the Lord Randall song, it's a conversation between the dad and his son. And it's yeah. the dad answer asking the questions. And in fact, the, just so you know, the first line in the Lord Randall song is, "Oh, where have you been, Lord Randall, my son? And where have you been, my bonny young man?" <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Well, but it's that okay. same. It's he it took inspiration from that. So it's this, you know, this this dad having a conversation with his son, and just kind of. It's
2: amazing that song to me. It's um, it's almost seven minutes long. And it, is it? it does, yeah, it does I, not change very much.
0: And, um, I never get tired of hearing it. I never, I, that is, I. I listened to this album, I don't know how many times over the last two weeks. I would have never guessed this song was seven minutes long.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't
0: either. To me, that Masters of Worse is
3: much
2: longer. Ma- Masters of yeah. Worse, so in my mind, still hasn't ended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, it's funny, um, Dylan has a lot kind of a lot of pretentious things to say about the song. But when you understand it in context, they don't sound quite as pretentious. One of the things he's always said was that he didn't feel like he had enough time to write all the songs that were pouring out of him. So he wanted to put them all into one song, which is kind of a pretentious thing to say. But then I read later that. This song was written during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So what he means by that, I mean, everyone thought the world was going to end, right? We were going to get a war with the Soviet Union. The world could end. And so he wanted to put everything that was on his mind into one song because he literally didn't think he was going to have enough time to do that. I'm going to
2: all the relief you got from that, Tony, I'm going to take away now. Okay. (laughs) he performed this at Carnegie Hall two months before the Cuban Missile Crisis. Ah, Ah, he said that later. And someone ah. called BS on it. Oh, <laughs> ah, well, okay then. This He played this on September 22nd, uh, and the Cuban Missile Crisis started a m- a month in later. October, as you yeah. know. Yeah, it was
3: October. It was a month later.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I've i got egg <laughs> on my face. Uh, a lot of people think that because it, he maybe said that. that. <laughs> it'd be nice if that hard rain would wash the egg off my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway. That's
2: another thing. Everybody thought that the hard rain was nuclear fallout. And uh, he did. He did. He said it was that was not the case several times. God, I never thought it to was me nuclear at all. Fallout. Did you, you never? I, I always thought it always it was occurred just, to me. I, it sounds biblical to me, like that. Uh, yeah. bat, bat, and and I'll tell you something else that came out in that. uh, That biography is Dylan was uh, I talked about how he's always reading newspapers. He was. Deep into the Bible too. Um, I forgot to mention during Masters of War. If you listen to that, uh, he he does that accusatory. You who, you who, you who. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the uh, the seven woes uh, when Christ is giving it to the Pharisees in the book of Matthew, it's the same deal. You mm. uh, blind guides. You. It's it sounds very uh, much alike. I did, huh. I did not read anywhere. Uh, that's fascinating. In the seven woes. Well, then
3: he's, he says it again in the lonesome death of Haiti Carroll, that you who philosophize with your pen. Yep. Now's not the time for your tears. Well, the other thing he says about this song is that each line starts a
0: whole new song again, kind of a pretentious yeah. thing to say, but yeah. I, I can get it. Um,
2: if you're Bob so, Dylan, that might be true. Well, it's a great song and I really feel, uh, I can't talk about it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's all of these. He goes everywhere with this song. So if yeah. you think you know what he's talking about, you're wrong because he's all over the place. And I remember being a young man listening to this song thinking, that's me. I'm going to make a stand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, particularly the part about standing on the ocean and you're declaring all this stuff and you're sinking, but you're not going to shut up. And all of it's, so it's what happens, of a young right? man's. You get old, and you start you start realizing that all the crap that's wrong with the world is right inside your own breast. Uh, it's not you. us and them. When you're a twenty year old living in the that's one thing I would like to say about this album. This is this album is good. Sixty years later, almost sixty years later, it was written by a twenty year old
3: yep,
0: yeah. living
2: in Greenwich Village.
3: Yep. Yeah.
2: Uh, listening to a little commie tell her, tell him everything (laughs) about the world. It is amazing that this is even listenable. Uh, yeah, there, I'll tell you something else. Bob Dylan is an extremely smart person and he Mm -hmm. figured out way earlier than most people do that, uh, masters of war notwithstanding that you got to pull it back and you can't, be pointing the finger well, all the time, and you can't you can't be playing the prophet as much as I'm sure he I, wants to.
0: I agree with you 100. percent. I mean, again, yeah. that goes back to the generalness of a lot of these songs. And I yeah. think he even talks. I, I I know I saw an interview years ago where he talks about how Joan Baez was trying to get him to go out and be front and line front and center in yeah. all these protests. He's like, I that's not what I do. I don't do that.
3: Yeah, that's what uh, it's in that Scorsese movie. Well, yeah. In, in his biography, he rants about
2: the whole "Voice of the Generation" thing. Yeah, he said, "I didn't sign up for this." Yeah, and yeah. I'm a songwriter and a singer. That's not my deal. And uh, Baez, uh, kind of, tr- she wrote a song that was supposed to provoke him to come back into the movement, and uh, that really pushed his button too. There's there's well, one line in this song that I think sums up what I'm trying to say about the fact that for a 20-year-old growing up in the most pretentious corner of America surrounded by the most pretentious people in the world I will know my song well before I start singing. Um that shows some insight and uh, I think he I think he puts that into practice some. And remember well, we're talking about a 20-year-old.
0: But but I think I think you, you hit the nail on the head. What Dylan does great is he sings about what he's um, what he's seeing. I mean, the personalness of his songs is kind of what his environment is, but it's not that's what it is. It's not necessarily I mean, if it encourages someone to take action, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, he's just a songwriter talking about what's going on in his world. All right. Let's all right. Move so on that was two. that was the last song on side one. So we're gonna flip her over, and hit hit the side first song on side two. Don't think twice. It's all right. Which is my favorite song on this album.
1: When I be gone, you're the reason I'm traveling on. But don't think twice. It's all right.
0: I love this song. It's uh, I love the guitar playing on it. I love his yep. vocals on it. They see they seem so earnest. His vocals seem just so just dripping with just sincerity. Mm-hmm. And I love I love the lyrics. Um, it's based on a Paul Clayton song called "Who's Gonna Buy You Ribbons When I'm Gone," which is in turn based on an old song called "Who's Gonna Buy Your Chickens When I'm Gone." <laughs> <laughs> um that's a long way <laughs> yeah and it, it was written i guess it was written after he heard his girlfriend was gonna s- considering extending her stay in italy so this is another one yeah. of the songs that sort of came pouring out of his longing for his girlfriend but god it's yeah. such a such a great song the guitar playing on it is fantastic
2: it is a great song and so many people have covered this song uh, even our dearly departed Jerry Jeff Walker did a cover of this. Um, of course, he was unable to stay bitter or angry during the song.
0: <laughs> but but yeah. I, I mean, that that middle verse is just so great. You know, uh, Where he talks about um, turning on the light and he's on the yeah. dark side of the road and. Mm-hmm. Um, I never so yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. The night I never knowed. Uh, it's, so gr- it's so great. I just I never, ever, ever. I'm going to quote. So I'm going to say something Doug says about songs he loves. I never get tired of hearing this song. I can. Uh, we we my family and I uh, during this pandemic, we go on walks around the neighborhood and I've been taking my phone with me and listening to the albums out loud that we're listening to. And yeah. we we're when I was playing this, I think I played this song three times on, on one of our walks because I just love it so much. <laughs> Anybody that
2: ever got dumped probably likes this song because <laughs> it makes it sound like you're the good guy in yeah. the end of the dumping. And yeah. I bet uh, I bet there's two sides to that story. <laughs> but I, I tell you the line I like is I gave her my heart, but she wanted my soul. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, it's fantastic. That's, that's that's brilliant songwriting, yeah. and that's a little short thing that tells you the whole tells you the whole Thanks. story,
0: at least yeah. from his point of view. All right, so we'll move on to uh, to Bob Dylan's "Dream." Well, we
1: together, will many a storm, laughing and singing,
0: till the early
1: hours of the morn.
0: And this is based on another traditional song lady franklin's lament yeah um peter yarrow says he thinks dylan was tapping in this kind of the nostalgia of the scene as as it was at the time and and peter Yarrow was saying that he kind of thought dylan was maybe thinking well he probably saw it already that things were changing mm. and uh and they would they're going to be altered and they weren't going to be the same and if you listen to the lyrics you can kind of see that this is one of my least favorite
3: songs on this album actually i gotta say the same thing it just doesn't really it doesn't do anything for me his his voice is kind of cool on it yeah
0: i'll I'll give give you that
3: yeah but the guitar playing is not that interesting um and it's just something it just kind of falls flat with me i don't really understand well
0: and and as you guys talk about masters of war and in particular when doug talks about masters of war and um and down the highway being songs that just kind of take him out of it. I feel that way about this song because the next song I think is great. So I want to get to Oxford Town because I I'd, yeah. I'd love Don't Think Twice. And then I'm like, I want to get to Oxford Town. And Bob Dylan's dream is just kind of a bump in between the two of them. Yeah,
2: I love this song. <laughs>
0: do you really? <laughs> <I>
2: do. <laughs> wow. Um, this is a great song for someone in their 40s or 50s to write. Thinking about all the friends they grew up with and they don't see anymore and how everybody drift apart. Uh, again, he's 20 years old. He hasn't right. had time right. to drift away from anyone except for people in his elementary school.
0: So well, um, that's well, that's a hard part. But the rest of it. Um, but I think I think you've hit on that though, Doug, is that he he's kind of an old man for his time. I mean I he's, so. he's like <laughs> sees he is, beyond yeah. his years, if if you will. But, or and at least I think he's also imitating
2: through. old men who wrote a lot of songs like this. But yeah.
3: desperados I, I, waiting for a tree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I really do like this song and uh <laughs> I, it, it, makes, whenever I hear it, I start having flashbacks and I start thinking about what he's talking about, um, mm. about that separate, that, that, that sweet spot in early adulthood where you make friends so easily. And, uh, at least for me, there are friends that last a lifetime. And, mm. uh, but there's those that just drift away and, uh, i think it's a profound song but
0: i don't want to say you're wrong but (laughs) why you know i would (laughs) because i'm a nice fella
2: yeah you and jam are the nice ones i'm surprised we haven't had mail about that yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) um well so uh moving on to oxford town
1: Oxford Town, Oxford Town, everybody's got their heads bowed down. Sun don't shine
0: above the ground, it they going down to Oxford Town. Which again is a song I really like, and it goes to that whole talking in generalities. I mean, it's about a specific moment to a certain extent when this yeah. gentleman, James Meredith, was the first black student to enroll in the University of Mississippi, which is in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, But Dylan never mentions the university. He never mentions Mm -hmm. James Meredith. He talks about Oxford town and it's kind of told from the point of view of the people, the townsfolk kind of watching the events. Um, I think, again, I think that's what makes it timeless is it's not specific to that. So there's a a magazine uh, called Broadside Magazine, which I think was a folky magazine. Um, And they had they sent an invitation out to a bunch of different musicians to write us song about the James Meredith University of Mississippi enrollment. And uh, yeah. and people wrote put in songs. And Dylan submitted this one. The other notable submission was Phil Oaks. He wrote a song called The Ballad of Oxford, Mississippi. So this huh. song was composed for that, for this magazine competition, if you will. <laughs> well he he does a great job. Yeah I'm, I know he does he he he's perfectly clear what
2: he's talking about, but he doesn't pin it down so tightly that yeah, it
3: gets old. And that's and it's I think like that. Yeah, most political songs or or protest songs just it, they just fall flat once the event is forgotten or they've moved on. And this one, it, it, I think it's that much more
0: powerful because it's not specifically biographical right. about that right. event. That's yeah. what makes it powerful. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and Dylan even, I think, agrees because he said he had an interview with Studs Terkel sometime uh, in 63, where he said that, uh, um, you know, he could have written that song yesterday. And I think probably, he probably could say that today. He could have written that song yeah. yesterday. I mean, it's just yeah. got a timeless quality to it. It's unfortunate it's, that it's got a timeless quality yeah, to it. Yeah, it, uh, it is. You know, this
2: political uh, protest music is like religious music. It is yeah. so hard to do it well. Right. It is so easy. Your your topic is so grand that yeah. everything you say is going to sound trite and yeah. hackneyed. And uh, he's able to do that, and and it's yeah. it's almost impossible to do that with religion, politics, or protest. Yeah, uh, just deep topics like that.
0: All right, well, we go from something very, very serious <laughs> to something that is the opposite of that. Talking World War Three blues.
1: One time ago, a gold crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking in World War III. I went to the doctor the very next day to see what kind of words he could say. He said it was a bad dream. I wouldn't worry about it, none know them old dreams are only in your head.
0: Which is, uh, which is a. a you don't think, you think this know. is serious?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Don't you, didn't song, you
2: ever have to climb under your desk uh, dealing
0: the Cold War? The, This song is so dang funny. It um, is. And, and the subject matter this, is not but you yes. know but boy <laughs> is it funny and it, it just kind of you know the like a lot of his talking talking blues songs it seems like they're all stream of consciousness but they actually yeah. have a narrative to them yeah um, and and this song's not you know is is a perfect <laughs> example of that it's it just it's it's my third favorite
3: song on the album this reminds me of uh, Raising Arizona because every time I watch <laughs> the <that> movie <laughs> Raising Arizona, I find something funny in it that I hadn't noticed yep. before. Oh, and, yeah. and this is the same thing with every time I hear this song or something else in it. Well, it um,
2: it's got that little uh, that little tiny vagabond again, walking around <laughs> yeah, yeah. with his eyes real big, trying to figure out what in the world's <laughs> going on. And uh, guy, he's like <laughs> he just keeps
0: caring. it ridiculous yeah. things keep happening to him yeah. it's funny it's funny you're right it's like he's just he's he's a he's something that events happen to he's like the I've never thought about that. He's just the, he's the conduit for what's going on
3: around yeah. him, right? And he's so, he seems so innocent. I'm just going to yeah. go light up. Okay, the parking meter's glowing. I'm going to go light my cigarette <laughs> on it.
0: Well, the and best then, is when he wants to know who turned the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bombs are falling. He's like, who turned it, the lights on? It took on? me a long time. I'm <laughs>
2: down in the sewer with a little lover wondering who turned the lights on. <laughs>
0: it's it's awesome. scared,
2: uh, he it scares the so hell funny. out of
0: that
2: I'll, guy. Oh, yeah, the, uh, he scares <laughs> Thought I was a communist. <laughs> well. <laughs> I think the best is the ending, though. Yeah. That with the half of the people can be oh, yeah. part right all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. I I the all. Half the people can be part right all of the time. And some of the people can be all right part of the time, but all the people can be all right all of the time. I think Abraham Lincoln said that. I'll let you be in my dream if I can be in yours. uh, I said that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I said said that. (laughs) Uh, No, it's great. And of course, we want to go back to, what, the third podcast we did? What did this song give us? Oh, that's right. Um, We had Rocket Day Johnny. Yep. Who was... was, Elton John. uh, elton john was uh was rock was uh listed as rocket it was his gnome de piano on the uh on the uh um, jackson brown lp jackson right brown every, yeah. yeah rocket age John. Yeah. so yeah, uh, even yeah. if you don't
2: listen to the album you have to listen to this <laughs> album i mean this song because it's so funny. I well, turned on my record player. It was Rocket Ad Johnny singing. <laughs> tell your mom, tell oh, your yeah. mom, love's going to grow. Wow, 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 wow. wow.
0: <laughs> I can't tell you how much I've annoyed my kids singing that over the last week. <laughs> tell your mom, tell your mom, <laughs> love is going to grow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. At they the hate beef, it. It'll be, at the yeah, it'll be 12 o'clock. <laughs> great cut. Hey, so we that for, an
3: an that for over an
2: hour. Stop. Then I hung up. This, this, um, this does to the Cold War, kind of what, um, oh, <laughs> Slim uh, tried uh, to bomb Doctor uh, Dr. Uh, Strangelove. Doctor Strang- yeah, Strangelove. Or how I came <laughs> to love the bomb. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> that it was uh all this uh I guess people who were taking communism seriously could be they were great people to poke fun at uh, during the cold war. And you got to remember this was before um, Gulag Archipelago or Prague Spring. And we really didn't have a we didn't have the evidence we do now of what was really going yeah. on in the Soviet Union. Yeah. I mean I'm saying we, I wasn't born yet. i
0: <clears throat> <laughs> like to emphasize that for all
2: the ladies. <clears throat>
0: All right, yeah, we should move on, or we could talk about this song all night. Um, So the next song is a is a traditional song, Karina, Karina,
1: Karina, Karina, where you've been so long, Karina, Karina, where you've been so long. I've been about you, baby. Baby, please
0: come home. Um, this what's what's fascinating about this is I this is a, a full band performance. Yeah. yeah. What three or four years before he goes electric and and, yeah. and pisses everybody off? There's a band. <laughs> there's a full band on this song. Yeah. Um,
3: uh, I didn't pick does, up any
2: job. anything about why that happened either. But
3: um. I think that was Tom Wilson's idea that he just thought that the song needed something else.
2: It did. It did need. It would. It would yeah. be a
3: hard one to do without
2: something to keep it moving.
0: Yeah. Well, and this this song we were talking earlier that uh, at least Doug and my favorite version of this song is at least I assume it's your favorite version, Doug, since you asked, is the Bob Wills version.
1: Igorina, oh, you're to ask me Bob if will Bob Wills
2: covered it. anything that wasn't my favorite version of that. <laughs> no, I'm the same like to way. i I'd do a "Hard Rain's Gonna Fall." He'd make was, that thing swing, and it would be happy. And
1: ah, oh,
0: hard rain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. I love that guy.
3: Um, I love that's my but, favorite version of it too. But Big Joe Turner does a fine version as well.
0: Yeah, there's <laughs> several versions of this. What's interesting about this version was that Dylan didn't. He changed the tune, and the tune. Yeah. Wasn't the traditional version of the tune? It was a tune based on a on a Robert Johnson song called "Stones in My Pathway," and he even took some of the lyrics from that song and fused them into this version of it. Um, huh. Enough to where I never knew for the longest time this was the same song as the Bob Wills song. I knew yeah, it had the same. It is
2: enough different,
0: you know. It is enough. It's
2: hard like, to start a song with Corine Corina. <laughs> and be two different songs, but you're right. They uh, it does sound. Different. They don't. They don't have that. Not much in common, right?
3: Right. He, uh, yeah, I don't have the big Joe Turner or the big Bob Willsberg. But uh, but it is swing. funny. It is funny that
0: no one blew their top over a full band being on this song. You know, yeah, the way they did when he got up on stage as you said, strapped on Before. a Stratocaster. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know how he kept a straight face. To me, it looks like he's he's smirking when he gets up there at that that folk festival yeah. that you're talking about. But
3: um, Yeah, look it up on YouTube, guys. It's out there. Oh, it's actually yeah. on that Martin Scorsese movie, too. Oh, you
0: know, everybody. All right. So then we go on to Honey, Just Allow Me One More Chance.
1: Honey, just allow me one more chance to get along with you. Honey, just allow me one more chance of doing anything with you. While I'm a walking down the road with my head in my hand, I'm looking for a woman needs a worried man. It's just a one-kind favor I'll ask you. Allow me just a one more chance.
0: I which love is this song. Which has a <laughs> co-writing credit on it because the song is an old song. Um, but the, the version that, um, the version that Dylan was influenced by was by this blues guy named Henry ragtime, Texas Thomas, who recorded it, who recorded it in 1927. And so Dylan yeah. gives him co-writing credit. Cause it's very, I mean, if you listen to it, it's obvious, but, well, um, but I tell you, the mood is completely different. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's you're right. the
3: reason why I like it because he almost just sounds like I don't care. Just give you know, me one more chance. I'm not going to change. <laughs> it
0: sounds. It sounds like his tongue is firmly planted in his cheek while oh, yeah. singing the song. Yeah. It's just
3: a, it's that's a master funny,
2: funny song. I it know. Is. It's
3: just it's funny. A, a shows his mastery with, with his voice. I mean, he, he, he try to imagine Andy Williams or Elvis or no, man, Bono you know, trying no to. Yeah, yeah. he's, no, he's, he's like,
2: got that. He's got that vagabond character again um you you know uh i've been one thing i've been thinking about is how much he was influenced uh charlie chapman it was uh, a big (laughs) influence for him and you you get that same kind of feeling this that the same kind of humor uh with him just walking down the street and things happening to him and he's he's kind of hapless and then this here we go again he's uh (laughs) <laughs> trying to try to get together with this girl and everything he says to, would just be repellent to
0: him yeah Yeah, <laughs> yeah his, his, his vocals are really odd, odd but but funny yeah um, yeah because yeah, you're right it's almost like he just
3: is it's just I got my hat in my hand my <laughs> shoes on my feet <laughs> careful you don't step on me yeah
2: <laughs> There you go. We're going to get the most strange uh, reviews on this podcast <laughs> of any we've done because we can't stop trying to be Bob Dylan on these funny
0: songs. Hey, hey. <laughs> all right. So, uh, and we move right. to we, we move to ooh, my second favorite song on the album, I Shall Be Free.
1: Well, it took me a woman late last night. I was three-fourths drunk. She looked all right. Just started peeling off her onion gook, she took off her wig said how do I look? As high flying bare naked out the window
3: Okay, this song I shall be free. I mean, is this going <laughs> to be a, a lament about being a slave or, you know, is it, it sounds is
2: like it's going to be something that puts you put your fist up in the air and you march with yeah, people yeah. and then it going to be
3: some psychological thing about the walls you put up on inside yourself and, and then nope. you
2: find
0: out it's as 3 fourths drunk and she looked all right <laughs> so it's 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 loosely based it's a rewrite of an old Leadbelly Belly song called yeah. We Shall Be Free and, and <laughs> right. the ver, again the version that that is most influential was Leadbelly Belly and Woody Guthrie did it did a version of it together um that you can find on online. Um, it's again kind of another talking blues song oh, to a yeah. certain extent, and it is
3: hilarious. <laughs> this may be the funniest song he's he's written on it. But
2: as <laughs> half flying, bare naked <laughs> naked <At the> windows
0: <laughs> you know, Ken, Kennedy calls him up to ask him how it <laughs> make it's the country nice grow. <laughs> yeah, he got it's, yeah, it's, it's his Richard, friend John <laughs> Oh,
3: that's right My friend oh, yeah. John calls me up he right.
2: calls me up and says My friend Bob <laughs>
3: <laughs> Well, we need to make the country grow <laughs> He's talking about making love to Elizabeth Taylor <laughs> Catching hell for Richard Burton <laughs> things.
1: I catch dinosaurs Make love to Elizabeth Taylor Catch hell from Richard Burton
0: here's the the sad thing about this song is that um if it had been written today there's no way it would be taken uh, in the vein it was meant to be taken in people yeah, would hate would be this all, song.
2: everybody would be out protesting it' and oh, talking Lord. about how
0: this is uh this is uh highly
2: offensive and the yeah. national organization for people who are pissed yeah. off about something would be out protesting it and all the victim groups would be standing in line to
3: protest it. Yeah, not real. where he has to sit in the back of the tub.
2: Yeah. yeah. With, the, with the black paint of black. <laughs> yeah, a can I, of I, black paint, I, paint fell on his it head. His his head. Yeah. He had to go to the
0: scrubbing dub. Yeah. Had to sit in the back of the tub. Yeah. Yeah, no, people would hate this song <laughs> if it came out today. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's so funny. And it's it so, is. you know, as you said earlier, just poking people in the eye yeah <laughs> um that's great well
2: it's, uh, it's uh, a wonderful song i uh, I love the funny so they're my favorite now that i'm a old fart and they were
0: always my favorite
2: idealistic days of standing on the water until i start sinking her over
0: <laughs> uh, the, the the funny songs were always my favorite i that's what got me into dylan when i realized and i, I would tell people as as you said jam when you're talking I think it was you that said it that you're playing songs and people are like, "Yeah, you didn't tell me how funny he was." <laughs> yeah, people don't think about how f- the guy is is really, really clever. Yeah, um,
3: yeah,
0: and remarkably so. And uh, and I th- and and I don't think people focus on those songs enough because they really are treasures.
3: Yeah, they're just and it's kind of a, a window into his mind because most of them are just he uh, stream of consciousness kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah
0: um well all right that that wraps up uh that wraps up our talk about dylan's second album um it's a great one you need to listen to it um i i will adamantly uh say you need to listen to it from beginning to end there's not a song you need to skip there's some that aren't as good as the others but you don't need to skip anything it's a great album
2: it's hard to understand you it, you'll find it hard to get a handle on american music and how we got here from where we were without
0: this album yeah yeah absolutely one of the one
3: of the most important ones we've done yet i would say so certainly the most influential Well, that's it for tonight's show next week we'll be taking a look at a another stunning album by another celebrated figure in the history of rock and roll, Paul Simon's Graceland. Civil War. I'm
1: going to Graceland, Graceland, to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Poor boys and pilgrims with families, and we are going to Graceland. My job
3: We're on Facebook. Be sure and look us up there. We're also on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can also email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Please send us a note, leave us a review, let us know what you think of the show or what you would like for us to review in upcoming podcasts. And if you know of anyone that likes music and the LP format, please let them know about this podcast. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slater, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J. M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And we'll always help you keep from catching hell I'm Richard Burton.
0: um peter peter wolf uh you guys
3: who's peter wolf
0: the dean singer, singer
3: the jay giles down band. right
0: right Actually, i didn't want to say i didn't want to say something like for those of you who don't know because i know people will know that and i didn't want to insult anybody
2: i would i would like to point out he had a successful career after the jay giles band as well he
0: did well he did back back in the day when dylan was uh <clears throat> it was hot hot um a hot commodity in the in the new york scene uh, Peter Wolf was known as Peter Blankfield, Blankfield, and uh, he was present when Dylan performed the song live. And he says that Dylan, this is how he describes it. He says, Dylan put these three pieces of loosely paper ripped out of a spiral notebook and he starts singing a hard rain and he finished singing it and no one could say anything. The length of it, the episodic sense of it, every line kept building and bursting. OK, so that tells you how Peter Wolf felt about Dylan. So here's the funny thing. Evidently, Peter Wolf and David Lynch, the film director, were, were roommates in the 60s. And, and they went to see Dylan play a big place, big sold out place. And uh, and um, David Lynch gets gets stoned. He smokes pot at the show. And uh, because they were so far away and because it was so crowded, he starts to freak out and he wants to get out. He wants to leave so badly that he finally just leaves. He takes off <laughs> later that evening. Peter Wolf shows up with some friends of his back in his apartment and lays into Lynch and says, Nobody walks out on Dylan, pointlessly. <laughs> and so, so Lynch, in response, says, I walk on Dylan, get the F out of here, and throws everyone out of the apartment. Um, and this evidently ended their status as roommates. this this dylan show and and david lynch's response to it so
2: uh, dylan operated kind of like a yoko in that situation yeah he broke
0: up the band broke
2: up roommates yeah